Gentlemen, welcome back to the Overlap. I'm of course joined by Rion. We're starting pretty late in the context of when we usually record, like not like day or time of day late, just in terms of us saying we do it at time X and we are now time X past 45 minutes. But anyway, I digress um, and I'm jumping into it quickly because I've disrespected Rion's time. So that is on me, but hello. Hello to everybody, wow. Rion. How are you doing? How is Vermont? I'm, I'm, I'm good. You can never disrespect my time. It's you're, you're um, too kind. <laughs> uh, I'm good. I'm good. Vermont was a lot of fun. Um, I hadn't played. I used to play golf a lot when I was younger. I hadn't played other than like on a driving range in like at least four or five years. Uh, so this was, it was very frustrating for most of the, for like until the last third of the weekend, maybe. <laughs> uh, but, but honestly, like it, it was a good weekend over, overall and like, uh, nice. Uh, actually fun to get back into it and uh um, so you mean to say that you didn't hit like 10 under par or something that's how it works right <laughs> <laughs> i no, genuinely I not, don't know i did golf. not i did not play to the level of a, like a scratch golfer like almost <laughs> all, like almost pro <laughs> like borderline to be a pro golfer yeah that's a shame down. i don't know i don't know why that wasn't the case um i can tell you i definitely wouldn't i've never hit a golf club on a driving range ever before so <laughs> i mean that is what it is um i feel like that should actually probably change in hindsight but neither here yeah, nor there this is about rion's weekend yeah no honestly it's like uh as as getting a little older and also find myself getting hurt in these playing these soccer games a bit more and more <laughs> regularly um i i'm i'm actually enjoyed the weekend where i was doing something active and then did not have to worry about getting injured at all really <laughs> and and uh and yeah, and and, uh, and you know when you're on a, it, had, it was a beautiful weekend too. Like the oh, yeah. was up there, and when you're up there, there's no humidity, which which was fantastic. Um, so yeah, yeah all, all those things melding together for a good weekend, and and a reminder that maybe I should probably jump back into playing golf a bit more and, uh, <laughs> to kind of like save my long term health of my knees and other body parts, most likely. Damn, we're just old that was like an old man sentence talking about which body parts to preserve over the course of our lifetime like that shit is not preserved for people under the age of 30 but here we are um damn and it's funny i had a, a customer of mine recently that was telling me how like people in their mid to late 60s like once they retire just want to play like sports stay active obviously have gone into pickleball but it is the sport with the highest number of injuries for people above the age of 60 or 65 because it's so like abrupt when you do those movements compared to like a tennis or something like that. Like mm -hmm. you're trying to lunge like very often and you're trying to like stomp your knee very often. So he was like, yeah, a bunch of people are going to with knee injuries, back injuries, uh, basically the equivalent of like Barcelona's medical doctor office uh, appointments <laughs> there. But anyway, yeah, I mean, also uh, like with pickleball, like, that does not sound like a good thing for people with who are older with worse knees to play. Cause no. every clip that I see of it, uh, one every clip that I see of pickleball is against my will, but <laughs> the the other the other thing when I watch it, like when I have no, what did wait what what did pickleball do to you? I think it's so stupid, honestly. <laughs> I think it's one of the stupidest things I've ever seen in my life. I, I like in terms of how much popularity it has, I think it's one of the stupidest things I've ever seen. <laughs> um it's just play badminton. A... Just play badminton. No. Way more. It's way more fun. Uh, anyway, um. 
No, I was just saying that, like, you know, people are usually bending over. Like, you're bending over playing pickleball. Your knees are always, like, crouched. Like, yeah, that is a terrible thing to play. If you're, if what do you think like, badminton is? I mean, badminton, you're not bent over the entire time. You're really standing up straight, and you're not moving that much. The, 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 the whatever, shuttlecock doesn't move that. It isn't, like, going all over the place. I'm not talking playing Olympic level Batman. I'm saying like, <laughs> the bat, the shuttlecock across a net with each other. Anyway, I digress. I'm not, I haven't played Batman since I was like <laughs> I was a very small child either. But <laughs> anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna probably have to like edit this out. But I don't know why I just found that so funny. You're just like, oh, it's the dumbest thing that I've ever never seen and watched. Like you were so angry about it. But all right, if you really want to be up in arms that's fine by me um just think about this the only reason paddle whatever the hell it's called pickle pickle (laughs) ball the only reason that is even on tv is because vc and private equity money is into it so every time you every time you think about playing paddle ball you're like you're just a plant think (laughs) about that to those to those of you out there title of the podcast you're a plant um I'm not changing that, by the way. You can't take, talk me out of that. Um, also, I'll leave you with this thought, and then we're going to talk about actual football. The irony of you talking about VC money engaging in something like pickleball is uh, is mwah, chef's kiss. <laughs> or not necessarily wow. you, but relate, related to your employer. But I digress. Um, uh, I promise and- <laughs> my company has nothing to do with pickleball. <laughs> I promise you that. <laughs> not a single thing that, that we invested relates to pickleball. <laughs> But anyway, <laughs> fair play. I'm not going to argue that at all. Um, gosh, we got off on a six minute tangent. Um, let's talk about actual football. We're going to cover a couple of things in this podcast because we actually didn't cover the full on season preview uh, last time, which we'll we'll get to in a little bit. Um, some of the teams around relegation or that we think could potentially be relegated. But Ryan, let's start with the game of the weekend. There were a lot of big, I would say big results, not really any ones that to be honest with you, I was like overly shocked by. I don't know if that's a, a flaming hot take. I am, you, I am excited. What about Newcastle and, and Villa? Do you expect Villa to get smacked five to one? Yes. Yes. I actually very much did. Um, and I was surprised that other people did not. Um, Interesting. So, that is, that yeah. sounds bold to me. You thought they were going to lose five to one. Okay. No one could predict five. I did very <laughs> much think Newcastle was going to win. Um, but I guess uh, the only thing is, Wolves holding on for so long against United and Varane having to save the day effectively. Like, is that yeah, the yeah, only? Potential? I, I watched. Like, I mean, holding on is not the way I would describe it. From uh, no. point of view, they they were better. Honestly, I would I would agree with you, but for the sake of score, let's just just results. I'll just briefly read through them. City three, Burnley nil, Arsenal two, Nottingham Forest one. Which that I thought could have been an upset by the end of that. Um, Crystal Palace uh, won Sheffield United nil. Bournemouth and West Ham drawing one all. Brighton beating Luton Town 4-1. Everton losing to Fulham 1-0. Newcastle, as you mentioned, beating Villa 5-1. Brentford and Spurs drawing, which, come on, that's, I feel like that, okay. I actually should have parlay on this entire weekend. I don't even bet. Um, Chelsea and Liverpool drawing 1-1. That I probably would have lost the parlay on because there were actually goals in this fixture. And then United and Wolves. So, so Rian, let's start with the big game of the weekend, Chelsea versus Liverpool. Um, you and I both didn't have a chance to watch this game live, but we did watch parts of it um, 
guess basically after the fact. I said to you before we started recording, I thought Chelsea were pretty pretty good in this game. I thought there were actually a lot of positives to take away from, and I think a shining point, two, two shining stars in this match for me were Reese James and Connor Gallagher. Um, and I would love to hear your thoughts on either Chelsea as a whole and more specifically those two players or any other players that you thought stood out. Yeah, I thought, um, like I said, it was a it was a good game overall. I thought it was like pretty entertaining. Um, Liverpool came out really, like really well. I thought they played. I thought they were the more dominant side of the burst. Let's just say about fifteen minutes of the game, and then the five, maybe ten to fifteen minutes, maybe the five or so minutes before Liverpool scored, Chelsea gotten some control over the game and so that when Liverpool actually scored it was actually at a moment when Chelsea were playing very well um and had created a a few chances like like you said down the right side for um on Reese Jane's side I thought uh I thought his and Raheem Sterling's relationship was very good during that game and having watched them play over preseason there weren't a lot of times where Sterling and Reese James were on the pitch at the same time so you didn't get to see them play a lot during preseason together, but that kind of um, movement from Sterling to come inside more and leave Reese James the space for uh, out on like kind of like a right wing area, um, I thought worked really well for Chelsea, and I, and I thought that Sterling was good at finding space and receiving passes in between the lines, which which I, I thought was a kind of a big a big step forward in terms of how he played uh last season you know he was kind of shifted around a lot and and played on the wing a lot more often which he's just not as capable of doing anymore um but i agree with you i thought rich james was really good and and conor gallagher was as as he always is very industrious in in the midfield and um he was pressing was great again and he recovered the ball really well for chelsea i think there's still the obvious issues of playing him in the double pivot with Enzo, where you know you don't really you don't really want Gallagher to be the deepest player um, as he was like for a lot of that first half, uh, and that kind of made things a little more difficult for Chelsea to build up at the start of the game. And once Enzo started moving back a little bit more, and and I thought that they kind of found a good a better balance, especially in the second half, where I thought Chelsea were much better um, than Liverpool. That was nice to see, and and you know Gallagher can definitely do a job in that situation, like playing in that double pivot. It's hard to, I think it's hard for them to play it with when it's either when it's like Enzo as the as the as a partner there. Um, but even if you have someone more defensive, then you lose some creativity from that space. So I still think it's a little bit square peg in a round hole. Um, I think Connor's still better when he goes for when he's like further forward, but I thought that he was still. Other than a couple, I think, hiccups in possession, I thought that he was still very strong, like overall solid performance for for Chelsea. Yeah, and I want to echo two things that you mentioned. Um, First of all, being the connection between Reese James and Raheem Sterling. I thought that was, going into this game, I thought that's not what would give Liverpool fits. I thought the left-hand side of, uh, well, I guess going forward down the left for Chelsea would really be where they could take advantage of space behind Trent and in between Trent and Kanate. And it turned out to be the complete opposite because to your point, we hadn't really seen Reese James and Raheem Sterling on the pitch at the same time. 
uh, all that often. And I thought that was really fascinating just because where you saw really Pochettino clearly rely on Chelsea's crossing ability almost exclusively came from Reese James. And Ben Chilwell was effectively responsible for taking up space or taking up um, Kanate or defender away from Jackson to come in and cross behind, right? That was kind of the whole idea, and you saw that time and time again. So that was number one. Number two is really around uh, Connor Gallagher. The only I'll just I'll just add an asterisk to what you said. You said beyond a couple of giveaways, those couple of giveaways almost led to Liverpool goals. In fact, they were very close to leading to Liverpool goals. So I agree with everything you were saying about him playing more advanced role. Um, but those those giveaways were really did leave Chelsea exposed. And I think that the broader problem for Chelsea defensively is that the three in possession can work, but you very quickly have to change that when you're out of possession and you're in transition. And I don't, I, I don't think they've gotten that down, but I think that just comes with time. Yeah. And, and I think that kind of what you're describing too, is like, it's a better, like you know, going to lose the ball. Like that's going to mm-hmm. happen. <laughs> like sometimes cause he's not, he's not, he's not Enzo. Not a strong suit. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, we can get out to Enzo in a second, but <laughs> um, you know, if he's further up, he loses the ball and theoretically you have, four to five players behind the ball, you know, when he loses it to be able to help you win it back. Right. And it's just like, it's less dangerous to lose the ball higher up the pitch. I mean, that's, you know, whatever that math is not the, not the word I'm looking for, but just, you know, logically that makes sense. Right. So I agree with you. Even when you lose the ball in those, in the areas that he did, it's almost always going to start like a, a, a transition for the other team and give them a really good chance to get a, a good shot. Um, at your at your goal, right? But um, I think like on an overall sense for both sides, before we get back into like the individual players, is that this game kind of showcased why each of them were looking for a defensive mid going into this, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's talk about Liverpool for a second because McAllister effectively played the six, right? And uh, I was chatting with a couple of Liverpool people before this game, kind of just this past week leading up to it about like. Let's say you don't get Caicedo. Let's say you don't get a six. Like, who plays that? Harvey Elliott? No. Curtis Jones? No. Like, forget about the signings that you've made. They're not intended for that position. The one person I quite literally did not throw out was Alexis McAllister. And he has not played the position for Brighton, to my knowledge. And he certainly didn't play that position for Argentina in the last year and a half. So seeing him in the six was effectively a Band-Aid. Um, and, and a very ironic image of the battle between these two clubs that was going on off the field, um, and basically a battle of the sixes. Maybe that's a secondary podcast title. But more importantly, McAllister also lost possession. That's not overly his, his strong suit. Um, I, I think some of his passing and distribution was okay for, for makeshift, basically, defensive midfielder. But to your point... It, it wasn't great. <laughs> I didn't didn't love it. Um, there were just, I think the risk to reward ratio is really where I start to lead into figuring out whether that was a good experiment. And over the course of a what thirty eight game season, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't roll with it, Klopp. I, I, but again, yeah. I'm just a guy with a podcast. So. No, no. And, and look, they they know that's not that's not why they got him to either. Right? right. That's like like you said. I thought he did a solid job in that. Um, position again not being brought into the team for that reason uh but 
it's pretty obvious why they're why they are looking they are in the market for a defensive mid, right? Like that's not his natural point of view um, on the field, and I I think there's still encouraging stuff to see from him there because I thought he was one of Liverpool's best players on the field, you know. Um, and I think that the way that he is able to link play forward. Um, you know, playing between the lines and getting it up to the attackers, as you saw on Salah's or Diaz's goal, um, it's McAllister that plays that pass out to uh, Sterling, out to Salah, <laughs> out to there Salah before um, who then ends up getting the assist on on Diaz, um, on Diaz's which goal. which by the Great. way is that assist one of the better assists I've seen in the Premier League. I I do think that part of it was down to the fact that Chelsea were just on the back foot and again in transition, but my God, the vision to time that was like yeah. just beautiful. Yeah, cut like as you know, he's cutting inside at pace and then plays a perfect um weight on the pass. Like the weight on the pass is what I found like the most uh impressive part of it, right? Especially running at speed as as Salah was. So you know, he he also could have had a goal himself uh you know the off Chelsea get a little lucky on the on the offside that they stepped just at the right like millisecond um to catch him off but um I I do think that like going back to McAllister he and Shobashlai who I thought also had a strong game is that him I believe so I believe it's Shobashlai yeah um <laughs> I tr- honestly yeah, I wasn't even going to attempt to say it today but I, I yeah that. you know I'm going with what I what I heard like the announcers on ESP like on ESPN when he was oh, so, the league, uh, not, right, not right, the, right. yeah like the, the so in-game, it's wrong. no the in-game <laughs> <announcers>. <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> no, that's in-game. fine I'm going off of what Derek Ray how Derek Ray um pronounced it and he he and he's very particular about his pronunciations uh but anyway I'm fine with that <laughs> um, yeah, I thought they were too. They were very strong in that game, and I think that again, you throw in an actual holding midfielder in there, and those guys are going to look even better. I mean, they're going to look better because the, the balance of the team is going to be a lot better. Um, that second half, Liverpool really lost control. I thought in the in the middle of the park, um, and kind of led to the reason why Chelsea were. The by far the better side, I thought, in the second half, maybe up until the, the last 10 minutes when you know they're when each team I think had made like three or four subs by that point, and the game kind of got like fractured a bit. Um, and we know that Liverpool's always better in like those chaotic moments. Um, I thought that's kind of what the last 10 minutes of the game were, and that's where you saw either side come very close to scoring on, on um, at least one occasion for each of them. So Overall, like I said, from Liverpool's point of view, it's gonna get a lot it's gonna get a lot better when there is just a solution put into the midfield to kind of alleviate the pressure on especially McAllister, right, to cover so much ground, which he had to he had to cover a lot of ground there. And same thing for Sobosly, who I mean, honestly, that guy can run for days. His he was running it's not it's not that surprising that a guy who came from the a Red Bull team like the Rebel system is yeah. is no issues doing all this running around, but uh, still impressive from him. And you know the other thing that a defensive midfielder will will do is is 
make sure that Liverpool doesn't have to play Cody Gakpo in midfield as they did in this game, which um, like that, if you needed like a cry for help of like what, <laughs> from Jurgen Klopp of like, I need to sign a, a, a defensive midfielder like that. That's kind of a big one having to play your, um, a forward in center midfield. Effectively. Were you surprised that Darwin did not start this game? Um, just knowing the opposition that they were up against? Uh, a bit surprised. I, 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 I like playing Darwin there instead of like Jota, um, who, who I think is also, I mean, great players on, in his own right. But I just think even with you know the inconsistencies of actually scoring goals, right, from Darwin Nunez, the amount of the shots that he produces, the chances that he produces for the team by just the runs that he makes and always being like that option going into the final third, I think is always enough for me to want to play him. And honestly, I guess I just, this, this feels very consistent to me to how I felt about Timo Werner, like even in the, even in the worst of times with Chelsea, where it's just like, you know, you have all of the shortcomings of what happens when he actually has the ball in front of goal, as we saw, you know, in that, when Robert Sanchez made that terrible pass to 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 Enzo, who was literally pointing for the pass to go the opposite direction, and uh, and anyway ends up playing it straight to McAllister, who gives it into Darwin Nunez and then kind of fluffs his lines in front of um, Sanchez. Yes, those moments unfortunately are happening at a at a, at a more than consistent rate <laughs> than you would expect, but. I think he still gives you way more positives than negatives when he's on the pitch. So I, 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 would, always, I would always rather, if I'm a Liverpool fan, I would always rather see Darwin start. That's fair. Yeah, and I'm sure there are people out there selfishly that would rather have him start for their own fantasy Premier League teams. Uh, not me, by the way. This is not a, a self-inflicted comment, genuinely. Um, but I do think that he does offer them more when it comes to both goal scoring and really as an outlet outside of goal scoring to create space for um, someone like Luis Diaz, for example. Because um, I do think that this is kind of going to hopefully, knock on wood, be Luis, Luis Diaz's season stay healthy and be a mainstay in, in Liverpool's um, left-hand side. So anything else that you want to, to go over with this game? I think the, the last thing that I'll say at least is like, like I said at the beginning and what I mentioned before we started recording, do genuinely think Chelsea played well in this game. I do think that there were moments that showed that they could potentially be a top six. I will see about top four for a variety of different variables, but I do think they could be a top six side. Yeah, I I, I think I, you you might kind of answer the question that I, that I was going to pose to you right there, but um, I do think that Chelsea probably it was the question would have been like, who do you think comes out of this more encouraged uh, if you know, when you think about the two coaches who comes out more encouraged, and I think that Pochettino probably comes out of it more uh, encouraged for the reason that you just kind of stated there. We didn't even get to talk about Nicholas Jackson. We're going to talk about, we're going to just talk about Enzo for as my last point, but, <laughs> but we didn't even get to talk about Nicholas Jackson, who was, who was just a handful. I mean, mm -hmm. wow. Um, he, he, yes, I, he has that one chance in the first half where he should at least be putting it on target. He's so close to the goal, but, um, he was a consistent threat in the box and something that you haven't seen consistently from a Chelsea striker and look, it's only one game. So let's see how 
the rest of the season progresses as they play against teams who are going to sit deeper than Liverpool specifically. Um, but you haven't seen a player be able to one run in behind, like make very smart runs in behind. I think too. I think when Jackson makes his runs, they are, they do seem very well timed. Um, even if they're like takeaway space from, uh, from other defenders to leave space for like one of the ten, the attacking mids to, to get a, a ball played in between the lines. But his ability to ride challenges and keep the ball under pressure a couple times against Konate, who I thought was, who I thought had a, a fantastic game himself, like uh, um, Konate on Liverpool. The, the couple times where he's just riding chal- a challenge from Konate for about five, ten yards in the attacking third. Um, I think of two instances, one where he, where he had a shot himself on the left-hand side. Allison saves, but then also the chance at the very end for for Mudrick, where Nicholas Jackson's probably carrying it from halfway line to just about the top of the penalty box, and for like 30, 30 of those yards, it's Konate is just trying to get grab the ball off of him, and he's and he's kind of um, keeping him uh, at, at like shoulder length away from him, and and, and still carrying it beautifully, like that a great I think a great first game for for Jackson. Um, and overall, like, yeah, I, I think Chelsea would be more encouraged. Um, so I guess that gives me to my final point, Elias. Enzo, Fernandez. before before you before you talk about Enzo, I'll just say this: the commentators in the first half were talking about how Nicholas Jackson can offer something different to this Chelsea side, and I think that's such a cliche, right? Like, I, I hate the phrase like, "Oh, he's something different." Like, yeah, okay, sure. Like, every player does have a trait, but like, what is it? And what I realized after watching him throughout that just that first half. It's his ability to win one-on-one challenges. That's the difference that he brings. It's not necessarily just pace, although he has it. It's not necessarily his vision or, or playmaking ability because I don't think they're on par with really the rest of, of Chelsea's uh, midfield, for, or not midfield, but let's say attacking front three. I think it's his ability to win one-on-one challenges. And when you think about who, who did Chelsea really have in that position last year? Kai Havertz? He doesn't do that. So um, just food for thought. Now I want to hear your, your thoughts on Enzo. But was, who, by the way, I was surprised he was taking corners, but that's just a separate thing. I genuinely was <laughs> surprised by that. Yeah, yeah. I saw you put that, that in the notes. And honestly, I didn't even – it didn't even ring in my head very much. Because usually – I mean, I, it would usually be Mount taking them on the on one side, and then I think Chilwell takes them on the <laughs> – I think Chilwell takes them on the left side, if I remember correctly. But – um. Oh man, just I don't even know what to say. Like I, I want. I, it's funny because um, from watching the preseason games, I thought that he like didn't look that ready for the start of the season. I was I I came out of the preseason being like, oh yeah, he was he was okay. He wasn't uh, he wasn't as good as I thought as I he wasn't as good as I as he looked during the right during the actual season last season during preseason. But yeah, who knows? Maybe he was just kind of hot dogging it a little bit <laughs> like just trying to get in shape because he came into this game and he was the best player on the pitch like wow the amount of times that he was able to just break get away from two different Liverpool defenders who are like on either side of him by just like a simple like ball roll back and and um and like some of the the vision of his passes like obviously he he's a fantastic like accurate passer 
but the timing of his passes too, it just he looks very cool under pressure and and especially against the Liverpool side like like this who have refreshed in in terms of like the actual age of the players on the pitch from their midfield especially um they were pressing really well and and they couldn't get the ball off of him and um well you can all you can see it in all the stats too as well he was kind of all over the um the pitch he had the second most touches in the game behind Thiago Silva who had 124 uh Enzo had 111 but then, like I said, he's on both sides of the pitch where he's four shot creating actions. And also he had five block passes or shots. Um, but the, the most interesting thing, I think, that is going to be is a good projection for what his role looks like with uh, Moise Caicedo just got announced today and coming into the team and being probably the more defensive of a double pivot with Enzo Fernandez is that for Enzo, he had 34 touches in the attacking third in this game and three touches in the penalty area. Last season, he averaged 16 touches in the attacking third and less than one touch in the penalty box. So just from that already, you can see how his role will likely change as someone more defensive-minded comes and sits and is playing next to him and kind of allows him that freedom to go forward when the team needs it or when it makes sense in, in terms of the uh, sequence of play. But we know that he also can do a thing where he comes back and he's helps with the buildup <laughs> and every other like third of the pitch. So it, I, I, I will say, I, obviously the, the, the fee that they paid for him, you're always going to, I don't know how many players in the world you're ever going to say a hundred 20s something million euros is like apparently oh, every it. player <laughs> like yeah i don't know how many you're gonna say that's just worth it um but the, like i said like i've said before with him i think probably 12 months from now um you know barring injuries it's gonna look more reasonable of a price that they paid for franzo fernandez um yeah he's just uh, amazing amazing game honestly from him yeah and we talked about enzo basically in the winter into the spring as basically that player that you thought he was going to be and he is now he's him he really is and he's starting to show signs of what he did for argentina what he did for benfica or sorry oh my god not benfica am i blanking on what team he came from i thought it was benfica right yeah it is yeah 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 benfica okay um I think he was, it was that river before. But anyway, um, point being, you're seeing the maturation of a player that's going to be at Chelsea for the next eight years, probably, barring, again, whatever direction the club goes. Hopefully. <laughs> but, hopefully. For me, yeah. hopefully. But, yeah, but, like, you, you could tell me it's only two or three more years, and I'll, and I'll still be very happy that I got to watch it. <laughs> so that's 100%. how good he is. But the, the last point I was going to make is, even if he's not, then I would really hope that Chelsea are able to break even at the very worst um, in terms of his potential slash output because he truly is that special of a player when it comes to a position that is very hard to find a fit for a player in the context of a squad. Uh, I would say that and the two fullback positions are the two most difficult to, to find a fit for. So anyway, with that, Rian will close out the rest of the 
game of the the weekend stuff is are there any other games that you might want to touch on before we get to talk about kind of season preview stuff we didn't talk about no i don't think not not so much um i i think just a couple of things i saw like from the tottenham brentford game um it'll they are going to be by they i mean spurs they're going to be a lot more entertaining this season that's that is i will actually be i will not feel you know like i'm dreading seeing them pop up on the tv right like that's what it's been the last two years under conte and and um a lot of the time under Mourinho. so um yeah i think i think spurs fans should be excited at least to watch a team play i'm i'm uh, a little skeptical of how of of whether this kind of play style uh will work on the defensive side um but like again totally totally night and day between i think the feelings that you're gonna have watching spurs this season even without harry kane yeah um i know we didn't really get that happened also between this and our last episode but um i think that there's still gonna be like an exciting team um even without kane I actually would agree with that. Um, I would also go as far as to say um, Crystal Palace impressed me a little bit. Again, maybe opposition as a factor to this. Um, and Newcastle, I, serious problems. There are going to be serious problems once again. Like th- That's that's about it. The, oh, maybe, you know what? Arsenal, they're going to have the same problems as last season. Um, obviously, we got the news about Timber today which was not very positive, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, kind of starting off on a really, really tough foot in terms of injuries for, for Arsenal. It was their problem last year when their title hopes kind of got dashed. Not the way you want to start, even though it was three points. And the same defensive issues are starting to show already. Um, so I don't have an answer to that, but just something to keep an eye on throughout the rest of the season as we continually will. Um, so anyway, with that, Rion, let's talk about the rest of the teams in the Premier League we did not get a chance to last week. Let's start with uh, our potential, should we call them, what do you want to call them? The, the potential dark promoted, horses? Promoted sides. Yeah, I mean, promoted sides with, who, who can we glorify the most? That's how I'll put it. Uh, Luton, Burnley, and Sheffield, um, I believe as well. So Fulham came up last season, right? And they or came, came back up, right? Yeah, yeah came back, back up. up. Mm-hmm. Not just came up. <laughs> and they ended up finishing in 10th place. Of these three teams, I think Luton has been kind of like the story that every, like the Cinderella story, right? Burnley is a team that, of course, we saw against City under company that is somewhat of a Cinderella story in that context. Sheffield having been in and out of the Premier League as well, have somewhat of their their own special story. Of these teams, who do you feel like is most likely to potentially replicate the success that Fulham had last season? I, I think... I, I, I currently don't think any of them will, but if we're going to pick one, um, I, I do think it's probably Burnley that has the best chance, thinking from like a talent point of view um i got to look at like some extended highlights of the brighton luton game from this past weekend and one of the things that came to mind for me is that i don't know if this team 
has remotely enough talent to match up with these Premier League sides. And, and I know that Brighton are were literally one of the four best, you know, by underlying metrics, one of the four best teams in the league last season. Um, but I do worry for them just from a pure talent point of view and probably to a lesser extent, the Sheffield United side. Um, but for Burnley, a team that score that got a hundred points last 101 points in the championship last season and scored 87 goals you'd probably think they have a better chance of staying up at least from the, those three from those three and a better chance of you know somehow overperform maybe with some strokes of luck finding themselves in like that higher mid-table area um the, the one thing that concerns me a little bit from Burnley's side is that they scored those 87 goals on only about 66 XG. So they ran pretty hot in terms of the actual goals they scored against the chances they created. And you can expect that's, you know, if they're going a league up, you're going to experience some sort of huge hit in terms of the chances you create. Right. Mm -hmm. And you would also expect with better defenders, better goalkeepers that you're coming up against, you're also not going to nearly overperform <laughs> on the, to the same level either. So, so that would be a, a concern for me as well. And like, it doesn't help when your first game of the season is against Manchester City, and four minutes in, you've got a Holland goal, and like forty minutes in, he's got a brace already. Um, so th th I know that that's gonna that is not the best way to start the season for them. But um, I, I I thought that they were not – they didn't look nearly as bad. I, it's easy to say this because of the score being what it was. But they didn't look nearly as overmatched against Manchester City as I thought Luton did against um, against uh, Brighton. I would agree. Um, Luton – I feel like Luton are a little out of place in some ways, and I mean that in no disrespectful way. But in terms of the talent gap, it reminds me of Fulham before they went down and then came back up um, for, for the season. Like, their last season, I should say. But it, it reminds me of that moment where we kind of looked at that Fulham team with basically Mitrovic and friends, and we were like, they're, they don't have the quality of talent that a Premier League side does. And unfortunately, they just don't. Um, even with a budget increase and all those things, Everything you said about Burnley is spot on from a talent standpoint. That concern, however, though, probably extends to both of those other teams in terms of overperformance. Even if they, like, there's very few instances, if any, that I could see any of these three overperforming their XG in almost any capacity of the season, unless it's by a very, very, very small margin. And that's just the nature of the Premier League and, and the quality that exists in the league itself. I don't think it has more so to do with Burnley or any other team. I think it's just the gap in, in talent. Um, I feel like, was it Sheffield a couple of years ago that had nearly the lowest points tally um, in the league, in league history? Has anything, genuine, genuine question, because I do not follow the championship as much as I probably could or should. Has there been any significant change in Sheffield squad in the last two years? One of their best, one of the the best players, um, as far as I'm aware, in the champ who in the championship last season, who was on Sheffield, um, I believe his name is Ibrahima Indai. Unfortunately, left the club this summer to go to Marseille. <laughs> um, he, he was very good, and um, and they have a new coach. I cannot remember his name right now, but I 
don't know how much better their squad is relative to the rest of the league, um, you know, compared to what was it two seasons ago. So again, I, I think time will tell in terms of that, like kind of how well they match up. Um, you know, this weekend, it didn't look quite as poor as I believe they came up against uh, Crystal Palace this weekend. And, like again, a, a different different quality. Um, they did lose to Palace, but did not look quite as overmatched. It, again, going back to the Luton game, did did not look quite as overmatched. I think for from talent standpoint, completely agreed. Yeah. Um, if you <laughs> basically, I don't, I don't think Sheffield will be at the same position that they were a couple of years ago. I think it's very hard to replicate record low or high numbers, but I I do not think that they are going to finish 10th like Fulham to the question from earlier. Um, but anyway, with, with that being said, Rian, let's let's move on to the other teams. We kind of bucketed this next group into the, like, would you call it the average section? I don't even know what to call it of Crystal Palace, Brentford, and Fulham. Um, Look, I would kind of talk- put them in that in that um, what, potential possibility possibility of of doing something like Villa did last season, where sure, yeah, you know, they they end up getting that last European spot. Um, you know, play well, yeah. they they played relatively well, and um, they have a little luck on their side, but end up you know, flirting with those last European spots. Super fair. Well. I guess ultimately, like, who is your your favorite then, or who is most likely to potentially finish in one of those those European spots? I I think I'm gonna stick with Brentford here. Just you know, they finished ninth last season, had one of the best defenses in the league. They have had one of the best defenses in the league for the last couple seasons. Um, losing David Raya is a big loss for them. Someone who was. <laughs> also one of part, the best part goalkeepers. Of the yeah, one of the best goalkeepers in the league the last couple of seasons. Right. Um and of course they're missing Isaac Tony for uh, let's say uh, until January, I believe. But I think out of these three teams that they one are the most stable and two again, I think have a bit more quality and in terms of the way that they play too, they've kind of almost mastered the way that they play, right? They're not a team that necessarily presses you very high. Um, they they will play longer and have no problem doing that, but they also do it in a very coordinated way. I know you see this, you see it a lot more when Exitoni's on the pitch, his relationship with Brian Mbuemo. It's a great one. Um, that being said, like over the weekend against Tottenham, they were, they were really good too. And, uh, you know, another day could win that game, but I thought that uh, Wissa, who has played in a lot of the games that Isaac Tony has missed in the last year or so, played really well. And Brentford did play really well in the games that Isaac Tony didn't play in last season, too. So I think they've got the best chance. Um, from a Fulham point of view, they overperformed their expected points last season by about 13 points, which was the most in the league. You look at the underlying metrics of their defensive stats and it's not very good and and i think i watched the highlights of their game against everton and that looked 
a bit similar to some other games for them last season where they give up a handful of really high quality chances to the opposition and you know from reasons being you know Leno doing very well on his own he had a great season last season and and he had and he was very good against Everton in this last game you know whether it be reasons like that or the other team just absolutely fluffing their lines and in this case or Everton it was Neil Maupay <laughs> who always fluffs his lines pretty much. The guy is just, uh, he just eats up XG, but he's so, so poor at actually finishing. Um, yeah, they come up in those situations and, and just as we saw over this past weekend, somehow find a way to win or not. Like, you know, in a lot of games last season, it was, to, it was not losing, but in this game, somehow they won that game. Um, and, I think that they are they are a team that I think will end up being in a relegation battle this season. I I I you know, law of averages tell you that it's just not gonna keep going like this. Um and I, I do think they're gonna end up being in down there in that relegation zone at some point. Um and for Crystal Palace, uh, I just think they're losing the, the players that they're, they're losing, losing a lot. Right. Um I know that Zaha wasn't great last season, um, and I do, and I, and I think that by the end of last season, as a as he kind of like fully recovered from his uh, Achilles injury, and then Elise when he was fit, were both better players than than Zaha. But that's that's going to be a loss you know, in case one of those two gets injured, or likely we're seeing Michael Elise leave before the end of this window. Um, that's going to be just big losses for them right um so i i think that's kind of like my reasoning behind it being a little lower lower on crystal palace compared to brentford at least um but i think that crystal palace will be safe again this season they might flirt with relegation at some point like they might get drawn into that battle at some point but i do think that they're i think they'll end up being safe i'm excited to see what crystal palace's attacking prowess can effectively do Without Zaha, and I, I know Elise has been linked with. Uh, actually, hasn't he been linked with Chelsea? Um, yeah, like, Chelsea and City have been the the two oh, City. Okay. the two links that, that have been strongest, I suppose, over the last few weeks. Yeah, um, I'm very curious how is it pronounced? Ize? like is that the right pronunciation? You are muted, sir. <laughs> I can see you talking. At I believe me. it's I believe it's Eze. <laughs> Eze, okay, Eze. I'm I'm actually very excited to see what he can do. Not because I just have him in fantasy, but because I genuinely believe he is a standout player and could be a standout player this season. Beyond that, I agree with you in terms of them being essentially safe because a large part of the team, A, they're keeping together, and B, I think that managerial change that they somehow made at the end of last season is actually weirdly positive. Although, I don't know if you saw the clip of uh, Roy Hodgson potentially going head-to-head with somebody i forget who it was on the field just i, seen, I heard about it i've heard about he, it he was about to throw hands at the ripe old age of like 74 um and i was so here for it so anyway um before we we wrap up real let's talk just briefly about potential uh relegation uh teams not teams that were promoted recently and could go right back down but teams that we believe that very well just could go down and at some point in the season last year, each one of these four following teams were in the drop zone, actually. So that's Bournemouth, Everton, 
uh, Nottingham Forest and Wolves. So I guess ultimately, Rian, who do you think is most likely to go down? I'll already, already will tell you my pick, um, and that's actually going to be Wolves. Um, that might be surprising, not because of Wolves as a team, but relative to who they're surrounded by in that group. Um, but I feel like A, with such a big managerial change, and B, with no changes in personnel from last season. What was Wolves' biggest issue last season? Literally having a broken defense. Like, that was their whole issue for the entirety of... And scoring goals. (laughs) I was leading to that point. But ah, basically, but... you hit you hit on the two most fundamental oh. parts of the sport. <laughs> like that's that's what I'm going for. <laughs> I, I was like, but I was just saying, even more than defensively, like they were just inept when it got to the final third. <laughs> like completely that's true. inept. That's um, true. But I, the other thing that that um, you didn't mention at the beginning too for these five teams. All of four them. teams, but yes, probably four teams. Four teams. Yeah, yeah all yeah. of them finished in the bottom five in terms of expected goal difference last season. Oh dear God! <laughs> and, and none of them went down. It's just, just again, shows how crazy that that kind of relegation battle was for the last like six to seven weeks of the season, and yeah, you know, anyone could have ended up going down. Um, yep. I, I think my pick would have been Wolves until I watched this game today against United and no, don't get pulled into one data. Point. I was reminded, I was reminded that they have, actually have a lot of talent on this team. They do. Cunha was fantastic today. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the best I've seen him play for wolves. Um, and I just forgot, you know, Neto was not very good last season. He was coming off of that knee injury that he had suffered this season before. Or I believe it, I believe he came back uh, close to the end of last season, and he had suffered the knee injury at the beginning of of last season. Um, he was fantastic. He looks like he has fully recovered. And then you kind of look at Matthias Nunez, who's can be a hit or miss, but he's a very very talented technical player. The amount of times that he was able to break through um, challengers, like people tried to tackle him um, from United today, was really impressive. Uh, and I think that I, going back to when we're talking about the teams that got promoted, I just don't think this is remotely a team with one of the three, like not even close to one of the three worst talented squads. I, I think that they are more, I think that their squad is more talented than Fulham. Like, I just, I just believe that. I think they have more talent in their squad than Fulham. I think they have more talent in their squad than Everton. I, I just, I... And I really like how they actually played today. Today, like they looked better than a lot of the games I saw them play under under um, Lopetegui, especially on the attacking side. Like they were really good in transition. Um, and you know, I think Gary O'Neill did do a good job with Bournemouth to keep them up last season. Um, I, Elias, you know more about Bournemouth's coach. And I would love to hear about uh, about him. Um, once we jump off at this point, but I think Wolves, I think Wolves have enough. I think Wolves have the talent and I somehow I losing their coach less than a week ago, they came out and they played that well. Like that's just not what I was expecting when I watched that game. And that gives me like encouragement of like, okay, if they, if, if they are 
um, for lack of a better term, kind of together, like playing together and, and, and cohesive, right? That team should not really be threatened with relegation. Like there, there's enough talent on the squad. Um, but you know, crazy things happen. <laughs> Injuries always can happen, of course. But like we saw last, we saw Leicester go down last season. So uh, that that team wasn't remotely close to one of the three least talented squads yeah. either. You make a really good point about Wolves, and one that I haven't thought about when think about talent in the context of the rest of the league and everything being relative. I I hadn't really thought about who started this game against United and just how good those individual players are. And maybe I had been giving Lopetegui too much credit for being what I believe as a strong manager, but maybe one that isn't necessarily suited for a place like Wolves. Um, That I think maybe showed with time, but the ability the inability to sign players of your own choosing is always going to hurt you as a manager, regardless of where you are. So it's kind it's kind of a give and take. It's never an apples, apples to apples comparison um, right now with Wolves. Your Bournemouth point is actually really interesting um, because Andoni Raola, who came from Raya Vallecano, for those who doesn't know, which is what Rian was alluding to in the Spain piece, it, it came from a very pragmatic way of playing. And I think that suits Bournemouth very well. And I do similarly think that they're in, in a somewhat good position to remain up this season as well. I don't think they're necessarily the most talented squad by any means, but Rian, you made your point about Leicester going down and not being the least talented squad is like, this sport is freaking weird. Like that, that is actually what it comes down to sometimes. And so I do think that ultimately, while Wolves are a talented team i think you and i both agree on one fundamental point about this sport the hardest thing about it is to score goals and if you figure that out you're you're gonna be pep right like that that's it but the second hardest as well is keeping those goals out and i do fundamentally believe wolves i mean i don't believe that statistics will show you wolves leaked goals last season as well and when you have a really bad combination of both you're screwed. Um, so that to me is ultimately what it comes down to. I don't have a, a science or an art even to explain the the details behind that. But to me, it is genuinely that simple. Yeah. And I think kind of the, maybe the argument for um, starting with the Everton side of this is that, you know, Sean Dyche comes in and he kind of just like yeah. stabilizes the team and which is what he did at the end. Like, you know, I, I believe the Everton average about a point a game um, after he came in last season. And so, you know, that will keep you up just to, should keep you up, you know, 38 to 40 points. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like, that's the argument for Everton. Like they, they played well against, they played well against Fulham. I already said it. Like they probably should have won that match. Um, and so that's kind of like the argument there that you, that there's enough talent on, on Everton's team and you have a coach who is good at keeping his teams stable right i know he did end up going down with burnley a couple seasons ago but um that's kind of the everton argument and then on forest you know you said it they, they weren't particularly poor against arsenal were they right like the two well goal, 
They, 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 did, they didn't create much, correct, but they weren't correct. overly poor in terms of yes, like, defen- yeah, defensively yes. they were not. They did not look, you know, completely like inept. They didn't look like they didn't even belong in that game, kind of kind of thing, right? They didn't look like a side, like a side that could be in the championship. Maybe that's the right the way to put it. Um, the two goals that Arsenal score, they get a stroke of luck with Nketiah's goal with the big deflection. Um, and then, you know, Saka's goal is, a, is amazing. Like, you know, you can't, you're, you're never going to stop that goal from happening, right? No one's stopping that goal from happening. No, I'm, I'm actually convinced that that goal stopped racism for him in England. <laughs> separate topic. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. But, um, yeah, I, I, and then, you know, Forrest end up, they end up getting a good goal in transition and, and maybe could have, um, Maybe in another world they they get a really lucky second goal and and get an equalizer out of that. But but um, I think for them maybe the argument is another season with all with you know a lot of those players that they signed um, last in in the um, last twelve months more time to gel. You have, the coach has more time to gel and the team you know plays well enough to stay up again. But I honestly think that they. They are right around the same areas as Sheffield. Um, probably, probably more talented than than Luton, but um, in that same areas as Sheffield United uh, and maybe Burnley. And so, I'm kind of feeling like those four teams, you know, the promoted sides plus Forest, those might be the four worst teams in the league at this point. Um, again, we're just talking about from a talent point of view. So, I I, I think that you know just the argument for them is okay we'll end up being better than those three promoted sides but, but yeah i i i have a feeling which is which is always one of those four go down <laughs> yeah yeah I, I think guaranteed you can book one of those four to go down and potentially potentially all three potentially all three teams that go down are going to be um three of those four teams 100 percent. yeah I, I actually couldn't agree more with that well rian that wraps up everything we want to talk about in england I just want to throw this out there um, for anyone that follows La Liga, and we will talk about more La Liga and stuff like that at some point. Um, but give us some time to ease back into the season. Whatever I watched on Sunday between Tafe and Barcelona can only be described as just peak Bordelas ball. That's all. That's all that I can describe. I think it was something like twenty-five fouls from Tafe, three red cards total across both teams. A handful of yellow cards I don't even remember. Uh, four shots, something like that from Hitafe. Like, I actually never want to watch something like that ever again, to be honest. <laughs> just That was catastrophic behavior. Um, my, my brain actually, like, fell out of love with football for a hot minute <laughs> at the end of that game. In the, uh, in the yeah, 110th minute. Yeah, it was nasty. <laughs> it was That's like... all. It was a nasty game. I don't even yeah, have any more thoughts. No fun. Yeah, it just wasn't fun. It was no, no fun for anyone involved, really. Uh, maybe it was fun for, for Bordelos on some like sick level. but like, <laughs> but I actually think he was no upset fun. at some point. He's like, guys, we have, we have to finish with at least nine. Like, please. <laughs> but no, it was just awful. I'll leave you on that point, ladies and gentlemen. With that. 
Thank you as always for listening. We'll be back. Um, gosh, I don't know about next week because I'll be on vacation, but hopefully a little bit before then we'll talk a little bit about football in general. Um, and we'll be back talking everything and anything. Can't believe it's already the middle of August. But anyway, thank you as always. Thanks, guys. <laughs>